Okay, people, it's that time again. Hope you're ready for a new echo chamber. And it's a two-parter, which does seem fitting because I feel this is the penultimate episode of the year. You know what I mean? So we got to bring you something a little bit beefy, right? Um, but as we do, we're going to start off with the UK box office top 10 for the weekend of the 9th to the 11th of December. So at number 10 is, well, it seems to be a Christmas staple, right? It is the Polar Express. This was directed by Robert Zumakis, written by Zumakis and Chris Van Allsburg. And we had Tom Hanks, Leslie Harter, Zumakis, Eddie Deason, Nona M. Gay, Peter Scalara, Brendan King, Andy Palicki, Josh Ellie. Uh, you know, all doing their thing in the film. At number nine, another Christmas staple. The Muppet Christmas Carol. Now, I do enjoy this one. Brian Henson directed, and it was written by Jerry Jill. You know, everyone knows it's based on the Charles Dickens book, right? We had Michael Caine, um, you know, Dave Goles voiced uh, Gonzo, um. Steve Whitmere, Kermit the Frog. Uh, We've got Cherry Nelson, Tiny Tim, um, Frank Oz, Miss Piggy. You know what I mean? I think they also voiced multiple voice uh, characters as well. Okay. At number Eight, we have got Home Alone. Yeah, <laughs> it just seems to be those Christmas staples, really, doesn't it? Chris Columbus, written by the man John Hughes, and Macaulay Culkin, Joe Pesci, Daniel Stern, John Hurd, Roberts Blossoms, Catherine O'Hara, Angela. Jellifilus, Devon Ratchery, you know, John Candy even shows up, you know what I mean? So at number seven, it is a um, Royal Opera House production of The Nutcracker, okay? So Number six this week, another Christmas staple. John Favreau directs. David Brereboom writes Elf. You know, Will Farrell, James Kahn, Bob Newhart, Ed Ansner. Um, that's how she spits. <laughs> Zoe Deschanel, Daniel Tay. Mary Stenbergen, you know what I mean? Everyone doing their thing. Peter Dinkage was in there. Uh, so now we're in our top five, a non-Christmas movie, The Menu. This is from Mark Mylord, written by Will Tracy and Seth Reese, Anna Taylor-Joy, Ralph Fiennes, Nicholas Holt, Janet McIntyre, John Leguizamo, Amy Canaro, Judith Light. At number four is Strange World, the new Disney joint from Quinn Nugent and Don Hall. Nugent writes the film. Jack Gyllenhaal, Jacoby Young-White, Gabriel Union, Alan Tudruk, Lucy Liu, and Dennis Quaid all do their voice acting in um, this one uh, at number three is Violent Night. Now, I think this is actually a Christmas film, but a little thing different, a little bit bloody. Directed by Tom Tommy uh, Wakola, 
written by Josh Miller and Pat Casey, David Harbour, Beverly D'Angelo, John Legazumo again, uh, Cam Chidant, Eddie Patterson, Brendan Fletcher, Alex Hassel, Mitra Suri, uh, Stephanie Sai. Yeah, you know, everyone doing their thing. At number two, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Ryan Cougar directs, co-writes with Joe Robert Cole, Angela Bassett, Danny Garcia, Letita Wright, Lapita Nungugo, Tenish Hereta, Lake Bell, Martin Freeman, Michaela Cole, Dominic Fawn, Winston Duke, Richard Skiff. I still need to see that one. And at number one this week, like last, it's Matilda the Musical. Well, the film version of, right? From Matthew uh, Walkers, written by Dennis Kelly, based on the Ronald Dahl book. Stephen Graham, Emma Thompson, Andrea Reisborg, Lashasha Lynch, Catherine Kingsley, Alicia Weir, Nick Overford, Serena Suling Bliss, Baby Massey, Noah Leggett, Cinda V, and more all up in that one. So, people, I think it is time to get into things for part one. So, let's go. Okay, people, so let's start things off with the new documentary, Quintessentially British. Okay, people, still cold as hell, but I am recovered from the flu, which is good. So I have just checked out Quintessentially British, a, um, a new documentary from Frank Mannion. He uh, wrote, produced, and directed the piece. Um, it's edited by Charlie Ennis. Ennis. I don't know. It was hard to pronounce. Music was James Jones. There's, they, they don't list any of this information on IMBD, so that's all I can really give you, right? It features, um, uh, well, there's a host of people in it, really. We've got Ian McKellen, Judy Dench, um, there's Sir Lindsay Hoyle, the Speaker of the House of Commons, right? Tom Allen... Oz Clark, Lady Camavan. Um, who else do we have? Lord Chris Smith, Sean Mathis, hmm. Camille Ozturk. Uh, doo -doo -doo -doo. Emma Elwich. Bates, Nikki Henderson, Simon Cundy, Brianna Caniff Mason, and his sister, Konya Caniff Mason, and Neville James. Mm. Did I say Neville James? I can't remember. But yes, that's there's other people in it, but again, it's no real listing. So that's all you get, people. Now, the basic gist of this is, well, this, <laughs> this is the what they give you, right? It says, this unique and cheeky documentary explores Britain and what makes our country great from our traditions to our self-deprecating sense of humor, right? 
that's the gist <laughs> of this documentary, right? Quintessentially British. Now, I would definitely say this documentary is quintessentially British because it's essentially all old white dudes. That, that, that essentially, that's what this is. It's kind of insane. There's a there's a couple of women, right? And and it is very funny because there's um one point with um Ian McKellen and they they start there's you know minion starts going off about um members clubs, right? He's going into a bit about members clubs and talking about them and how, you know, the importance of them in the country, how they're quintessentially English. And he's talking to McKellen and McKellen's like, um, oh, well, I mean, there's this one club, but they don't let women join. So why would I want to, to join a place like that? Then he talks to a woman and she's just like, uh, I think it was the, the Lady Caravan. or uh, And she's just like, um, oh, no, it's, it's a good place for men to be able to go. And, well, you know exactly where they're going to be, don't you? Oh, they're a good thing. And it's just like, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's very weird. It's a very fucking weird documentary. You know what I mean? I I don't know. Right, it's talking about a lot of things that I I don't believe. If you you know went out on just to the streets and talked to the everyday person, they're not gonna say mo like half the shit you hear in this documentary. I I, I think. Because throughout the documentary, right, we see um, Minion, he he goes, he's in Savile Row. And so he goes to get a suit fitted, a jacket fitted, some shoes fitted. And so he, he you know, he, go, he visits all of these staples in Savile Row, talking to them and how they've, because they've all got writs from the royal family and just all of this, right? So he's talking to them and... I think part of it is he he's like, oh, I'm getting a new suit. How can I how can I use this experience? Right. But yeah, other than that, because he's he, he's talking because they're all like, oh yes, um, the queen was a lovely lady. And like there's a you speak to the owner of Lawler Bags, right? I think it's Lawler Bags or Lawler, I don't know. Um, and he's just like, a, oh yes, and the Queen used to get our bags, and uh, Maggie Thatcher used to get our bags. Oh, two wonderful ladies. And we're like, mm. <laughs> you you ask uh, many people, they will not be saying the same things. You know, it, it, it's just you speak to a certain echelon. And you will get these responses, right? It's It does seem very bizarre that he didn't go very broad on the people that he spoke to, right? It's like he has an idea and he wants to ensure that idea is met. So he's only, only speaking like the fucking Speaker of the House of Commons just a bit of a pompous twat, right? Just a bit of a pompous twat. Like all this, oh, this is for the people and blah, and blah, blah. It's just like, shut up. Then he's talking to people that are members of the House of Lords. These decrepit old white dudes look like they're going to die any minute. You know, if a gust of wind hits them, they're falling down. And it's just like, oh, yes, and how we can, we've helped change the nation and do all of these things. And it's just like, for who, motherfuckers? For who? Please, tell, tell me that, right? It's, it's the weirdest thing. Now, towards the 
end, right, towards the fucking end, they start to, you know, diversity comes into it. And when I say towards the end, I think in the last five minutes, maybe the last 10, I think it was the last five, right? Diversity. And so it's like, oh, yes, diversity is a, it's definitely a part of what it, what Britain is. And then it was just like, yeah, shame this fucking documentary isn't diverse. Oh, like, listen, there, there were, you know, there were a few different people there. You know, I, th I think the people that had the, the m most screen time really were the um, Canif Mason siblings. Right, I, I feel they probably had the most camera time, and that wasn't a lot. Like Neville James had a, f a few moments as well, but yeah, they were probably the people with the most time. There was a few other people that cropped up, um, but yeah, that was it. Right, that was it, and then you want to talk about diversity and blah blah, and it's just like no, that that's and the funny thing as well when they were when they were actually talking about diversity, they were talking about it with old white dudes again. Like there's someone that's just like, oh, I, it really irritates me when people say that Britain isn't diverse because you know it is, and it's just like. What the fuck? Are you? You're a white dude. Like, you do you really even know? Right? You have no real experience with this shit. Like to you, you might think, oh yes, everyone's getting a free, uh, you know, a, a, a similar opportunity when they are not clearly, right? So it's just, uh, it was just a weird, a weird thing. It was a very weird, and to be honest, I just, I don't really see the point of this, right? It, it's just over 90 minutes, but throughout, I don't really think it properly touched on much. I don't really think it really addressed much. You know, it was just, yeah, a lot of the things, you know, that they mention, I mean, a lot of people knew anyway, you know. So, yeah, I don't know what Minion was hoping to get from this. I don't really know what he was wanted to put out there. I mean, well, he decided to put this out, so this is what he put out. But I don't know what the, the vision was when he first kind of proposed the idea, if this was it, or if this was just the best footage he could muster. I don't know. As I said, the, the, the people he spoke to, not the best, right? Not the best. Because you're not getting a broad, you're not having a broad conversation. You know, is it, so it's um, yeah, a little peculiar, a little peculiar people but there you go there you go yeah i mean listen it is um yeah it's out so if you want to watch it if you're a you know one of those these people that love the crown maybe this maybe this is for you right maybe this is for you but if not, um, maybe it's not, right? Maybe you, you love everything England, Britain. Maybe you want to watch this. I don't know, people. But, yeah, that's my views on this very, very odd documentary. Okay, people, so next up is the new Amazon original. It is something 
from Tiffany's. Okay, people, so it is ridiculously cold here. Oh, my days. It is so cold. And yeah, my freaking computer is by the window, so I'm just freezing my ass off. Oh, dear, oh, dear. The plug situation. Ah, what can you do? But, uh, you know, I was looking for something short, so I checked out something from Tiffany's. Okay, so this is um, based on a book by the same name from uh, Melissa Hill. Okay, so, um, yeah, to be honest, I don't actually know when the book came out. Hmm, that is an interesting one. But, hey-ho. Who cares? Um, so, yeah, it's based on the book by Hill. And the screenplay was written by Tamara Chestner. Okay, the film is <clears throat> produced by uh, Lauren Livy Nutstradler and Reese Witherspoon. Executive produced by Jeanette Volturno. Zoe Deutsch, Morgan des Grossils, and Marcy A. Brown, and Josie Craven co-producers. Jay Lifton and Ryan Miller handled the music, Bryce Fortner, cinematography, Casey Brooks edits the film, casting was from Rona Krez, Dan Bishop handles production design, Art decoration is Christopher Brown and Deborah Wheatley. Uh, set decoration, Diana Frez and Alison Korf. Costume design is Alana Morshead. Okay, hair and makeup and all of that jazz. We have Josie Zamora, Cynthia Vanis, Heba Fosdotta, Akio. Matasumoto, Justin Jackson, Troy Huggy, Sina Gorlick, Etzel Eccleston, and Sienna Chavez. And our cast. Well, Rachel Meyer is played by Zoe Deutsch. Her boyfriend, Gary Wilson, is played by Ray Nicholson. Then we've got Ethan Green, played by Kendrick Sampson. Um, his daughter, Daisy, is played by uh, Lee Jeffries. Um, oh, his wife. Not his wife, his, uh, his girlfriend. I think it's Vanessa, right? Vanessa? I believe it's Vanessa. Uh, is yes, it is Vanessa, and she is played by Shay Mitchell. Now, Rachel's best friend, who she owns her bakery with, is Terry Blake, who is played by Jojo T. Gibbs, and her wife is Sophia, played by Javika Leslie. I was wondering at first if that was her, because I think she really does look like her. Uh, so, who else do we have? Uh, Tiffany Saleswoman is played by Stephanie Shepard. Well, one of them is, anyway. <clears throat> um, we have got... <laughs> okay, so I think Gary's friend is David who is played by Michael Rourke. Um, <clears throat> one of Ethan's friends is Brian Harrison, played by Chido Nwokocha. Uh, we have got um, Muriel, played by Rose Abdu. Um, 
Um, yeah, that's our main lot, really. You know, all right, let's do the doo-wop singers, right? So we got Jeff Robinson, Tyrone Griffin, Jason Carpenter, um, Tim Anderson, and Harold Weary. Okay, so uh, yeah, there's it. Oh, and the other employee who Rachel Hart employs is uh, played by Morgan Lennon. So, uh, yes, there we go. Now, the gist of the film is this. Nothing compares to the magic and excitement of the holidays in New York City, where the streets blaze with lights, windows dazzle, and a special box from Tiffany could change the course of a person's life. Or several lives. Rachel and Gary are happy enough, but not quite ready for that big commitment. Ethan and Vanessa, the perfect picture, are just about to make it official when a simple mix-up of gifts causes all of their paths to cross. It sets off a series of twists and unexpected discoveries that lead them where they're truly meant to be. Because love, like life, is full of surprises in the holiday romance Something from Tiffany's. Uh, so, yeah, there you have it, people. This is a new Prime video exclusive, right? And, uh, yeah, now, I will say, right, for this type of film, the acting is pretty solid. Acting is pretty solid. You know, I don't really have any flaws with it. It is handled quite well. I think where everything gets a little odd is this the story itself. Right? There's there's crazy things in the story that make absolutely no sense. Right? Like the whole mix-up, the whole mix-up of packages is like, you know. Um, yeah, Ethan tries to help a situation, and as it happens, you know exactly where this is going, right? That's the thing, there's no real surprises in this film, no real surprises, because we get, you know, a character's character is called into question, right? And as they're being defended... Like, you know that this is something we're coming back to later in the film, right? And just, it seems a little bit of a struggle at first to come up with anything. And then they come up with this story. Come up with this story and you just be like, okay, well, that's clearly getting proven wrong. You know what I mean? Clearly getting proven wrong. So you're just like, Ugh. and that's the thing. So the whole box mix-up, it's just... You wouldn't put a box down, right, in, in next to another box that looks exactly the same. You'd put it somewhere else. And also, right, there's a difference between earrings and a ring. So I feel the boxes would be just a different size, you know, potentially a different size bag. You know, there's just so many things in this story that are just odd you know there's a lot of odd things happening um hey there, there is a bit at the beginning which kind of is there to show the character of another character right uh but i will say if you stand directly outside of a door anything that happens is kind of on you you know what i mean because you are now going that anyone comes out of the store has to like acknowledge you has to you know excuse me or or shuffle around the side which is crazy rude and we know people aren't always looking so i think you have to expect anything that happens kind of right now manners are manners but also kind of on you kind of on you right so 
we we have this fun thing about the fact that Rachel is a messy cook. But here's the rub, right? No flour on the face. Supposedly, stuff in her hair, nothing on the face. Face always perfect, right? It, it's just no sweating, right? If you're in a hot kitchen, you can build up a sweat, right? And if you've been in the kitchen of a restaurant bakery, those things get fucking hot, right? So motherfuckers be sweating, you know what I mean? No one's sweating, right? So there is that. They do a thing with the daughter Daisy. Now, as I said, acting is fine. It's just the lines that, you know, Shorty has to give, where it's just like, uh, we're saying this kid is really saying this shit, right? The other big thing, she looks like she's of an age where she knows what the fuck. It's not a little kid, right? It's not a little girl. So the fact that she has to be told, I don't disclose information. Like, what are you? You just think, mm, she's not dumb, right? In later in the film, she says things which are you're meant to be insightful and all of this. So you're just like, come on now. And then Ethan's always losing his phone again. There is no effort made to try and do better. It just becomes a little bit, really, we're doing the, these forced plot points to drive the narrative of the story. It, it doesn't feel natural, right? That's the problem with those things. Don't feel natural, right? And then we have the whole situation with the, uh, the mix-up right? Which, here you go. We we don't have anyone, like, communicating. It's a simple fucking thing, right? When you realize it's the wrong box, you would think, you'd be like, ah, you know what? This is a jack, because you could still do the thing with the earrings. You could still do, you could still do it, right? You could be like, ah, you know what, babe? This was meant to be this, so I'm still going to do it. And I love you, so let's make it. Let's make it work, right? You could do that. But there's no conversations, right? There's something else that's happening with Ethan and Daisy, which he doesn't communicate with Vanessa. And so this is the big thing, right? Because with whenever we have these sorts of stories and... They're meant to be showing this relationship, which we're meant to believe is perfect, right? They always just show someone being shitty, right? The, the partner being shitty. Now, there's a reason they're together, right? So maybe she wasn't always like that, or, you know what I mean? There's things that he must have loved about her to even just come to that conclusion, even though we get this convoluted bullshit towards the end, right? But we always just see this person acting in a certain way, which I'm just like, this. it feels so lazy with storytelling. You know, you can say, ah, oh, you know, they do these things, but uh, these things, we're just, we're butting heads on just these minor little things, right? Which happens in a relationship. You can be traveling like that, and just differ on something, you know, whether it's religion, politics, money, right, there's all these different things, morals, right, there's just these things that sometimes we don't always connect on, right, and it could be something like how you discipline a kid, one person might be like, a little spank ain't that bad, and the other's like, no, we do not do that, right, one might be like, I want, if we have kids, I want to send them to private school, others like, no, that's insane. So it's not always this terrible thing that it, it is the, the thing that splits someone up. But the way they show it, it's always something crazy, which is uh, just kind of foolish, right? Just kind of foolish and lazy. We can have this love story without any of this stuff. Another crazy thing is... There's a scene when the bakery gets crazy busy. And the way she acts, Rachel, you, you're like, wait, are you telling me 
it's never been busy like this because it's like she has no clue. Like, oh my God, oh, I've never had this many customers before. This is crazy. Which is just like, you've got two fucking locations, right? Supposedly, you're saying that this is great. This is all perfect. So you've had it busy like this. So her reaction and the way she handles it, you just think, no, no, that's, that's weird. The other thing is, not all coffee machines work the same. Not all tools work the same. So to be just like, oh, yeah, I got this. You just be like, mm. I mean, I kind of imagine there will be a bit where it's like, yo, I think that has to do and that has to do boom, boom, boom. Right. So that's kind of funky. Now, the last bit that I think is really fucking crazy. Well, there's two bits. There's a bit where Daisy says... For a white girl, she can cook, which I just thought was a weird statement, right? It, it was just a weird statement to be made because it's like culture doesn't come into cooking, right? Like when you think of all the different restaurants and just everything that's around, it's a mix. There's all manner of people doing all manner of things. So it was just a weird statement to have in the film you know it was just like what was the point of that right and the end the end was fucking because we do a one year later right which then you would go whoa what you know what I mean? when you see what happens a year later you are a little shocked right because it's just like firstly that's super quick Seeing the fact that they've only really just met. It's super quick. And when it's something that was for someone, it's just like, what? And the other thing with the, the situation, right? You were like, are all these people your friends? Because if they're not your friends, why the fuck would you do it in that manner? It's so weird. So weird, but you know, you're like again, it's one of those things, right? Do what singers, we know we're gonna see them again, right? Special place, we know we're gonna see that again, right? It, it, it's just predictable, but as I said, acting a lot better than you know, the majority, like when you think of, um. Uh, what was that, uh, you know, recent Netflix one, right? Fall for Christmas. I think it's something like that, right? The Lindsay Lohan comeback film. The acting in that, not great, right? This was a lot better than that. It was just a script and a story. Ropey, ropey. But, you know, I'm very, very, very selective about the type of rom-coms that I will digest, you know what I mean, the ones I really like, like the, I've said it so many times, the Before Trilogy, it's a standout, right, the About Time, watched that with my girl recently, love it, you know, Eternal Sunshine, jeez, Garden State, Juno, love these films, love those films, right, but that's the, stand, that's the gold standard for me, with these sorts of things, you know what I mean, so if you do like a cheesy story, something from Tiffany's, probably for you, probably for you, right, and it's only 87 minutes, so it's not crazy long, which is definitely a good one, because I don't think you need this to be a long film, you know what I mean, but yeah, it's on Prime, so if you fancy it, Go check it out, people. Okay, and we're going to end part one with a new Netflix. Um, stop Animotion, right? It's puppets. It is Pinocchio. Okay, people, so I, uh, yeah, I checked out Pinocchio, right? 
Now, you might be thinking, wait, didn't you already do this? No, I am talking about Gelmiro del Toro. Gel Gulimero? Gul hmm. I, yeah, I, I'm, to be honest, I have no clue how to pronounce Homie's name. But del Toro's version, right? He's iteration. So this, um, yeah, it's not the recent Disney one. Right? This is different. And, it, it, you know, it's easy to differentiate between the two because this is stop motion, right? No CGI in store. So Del Toro directs the film along with first comer, first timer even, Mark Gustafsson. He also wrote the screenplay with Patrick McHale and developed the story with Matthew Robbins. Okay, so the film is produced by Alexander Bolke, uh, Corey Campodonico, uh, Del Toro, Lisa Henson, Co-produced with Bianca Lister, Gris Grimley, and Melanie Combs. Um, it's executive produced by Jason Lust. Oh, and um, sorry, Gary Unger also produces the film. Music was handled by Alexandre, Alexandre Desplat, Frank Passingham handles the cinematography. Holly Klein and Ken Schmetzman edit the film. Casting was Mary Hidalgo. Production design is Guy Davis and Kurt Endel. Um, art direction, Andy Berry. Carla Castaneda. Robert DeSue and Juan J. Medina. Set decoration has Jess Gregg, Gillian Hunt, Samantha Levy, Molly Light, Laura Savage, and Zach Sheehan. Uh, <laughs> people did the puppet hair, right? The puppet hair artists were Katie Strutz, Amelia Hiltner, and Meeve Callahan. Now, our voice cast. Well, David Bradley voices Geppetto. Gregory Mann voices Pinocchio and also Carlo. Uh, we've got Ewan McGregor as Sebastian J. Cricket. Uh, Bern Gorman voices the priest. Ron Perlman is the Podesta. Uh, Daughtery is John Taruma, Taruro. Candlewick is Finn Wolfgard. Spazatora is Kate Blanchett. Black Rabbits, uh, Tim Blake Nelson. Count Volp. Is Christopher Waltz. The Wood Spirit and Death, a voice by Tilda Swinton. Mussolini, the sea captain, and Mussolini's right hand man, a voice by Tom Kenny. Uh, Alfie Tempest also helps to voice Pinocchio and Carlo. Uh, Podesta's wife is voiced by Amphia Gurko. Uh, doo -doo -doo. You know what? I feel that is, yeah, that's our our main group. Oh, Milner, uh, Pedestro's son, is voiced by Rio Mangini. Yes, 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 yes. Now, the gist is... Right, so it is based on Carlo Collodi's The Adventures of Pinocchio, but 
it is inspired by Grizz Grimley's designs when he brought out an uh, Italian adaptation in 2002, right? It was, uh, you know, he drew, it was an illustrated uh, version, right? And so in this one, it reimagines a story in 1930s fascist Italy. It's a story of love and disobedience as Pinocchio struggles to live up to his father's expectations, learning the true meaning of life. So, yeah. So, you know what I mean? As I said, there's things to set it apart from the recent Pinocchio that we have. And I will say, there, there is a lot of heart in this film, right? It, it feels fuller, right, than the previous version. You know, like the classic Disney original cartoon, boy, that, I mean, that's the pinnacle. The recent Disney live-action adaptation, hmm, I don't know. It, it didn't... Uh, I, I didn't feel connected to it. This one, there's definitely more to it, right? It, it def definitely feels like it's coming alive. And I think part of that is the incredible work from the Jim Henson company. You know, I didn't know they were the ones who did all the puppets, right? And you know when Jim Henson's crew are involved, we're going to get some interesting, fun stuff. Now, one thing that does seem, you know, something here, Geppetto is a bit of an arsehole. Bit of an arsehole. I say that because we see his other puppets that he's made. And he's made some, when I say lifelike, it's not really lifelike, but you feel me, right? A little bit more realistic than what? Pinocchio actually is so it's just like yo you wanted a crafter boy why don't you make it like you have a puppet you son of a bitch you know what I mean you, you're just like yo Geppetto man what, what have you done homie what have you done but yeah so there's that Pinocchio also doesn't listen little fucker doesn't listen at all very petulant but uh yeah you know, let's let's be serious. It's um, you know, I think another difference with this one is we actually see Geppetto and Carlo, right? His son that he loses. So it starts off with um, you know, there's so we're being narrated to by Sebastian J. Cricket, and he talks about you know we see Geppetto at a grave. And he talks about how he's always there. You know, his son died. Everything like that. We then see a load of scenes with his son. And what happened. How his son actually died. Which does bring a different component to this. Uh, the big Another big thing about that is, though. Right? If Carlo, who's probably, I think they say he's 10. Right? Is, is Geppetto's son. Right, Geppetto looks like he's 70, right? So it's just like, who the fuck is Geppetto's mum, right? Where is Geppetto's mum? Well, sorry, Geppetto's wife, not Geppetto's mum. There was no incest involved, uh, as far as I know. But, yeah, because, hey, you know what I mean? A 60-year-old ain't birthing that kid. <laughs> you know what I mean? Otherwise, he might have a hunchback and just all manner of things, right? So, did Geppetto, has Geppetto got game, right? Did he nab himself a little slice, right? What happened? Where's the mum? Where's the mum? Because we don't see him at the, his wife's grave, right? That's the thing. He's mourning the kid. Ain't mourning no wife. There's no pictures of a wife, which is, yeah, that's a little bizarre. It's just a side, you know what I mean? It doesn't really impact the story. I just find these things odd, right? So we had that. But as I said, look, we, we, we see the whole Carlo situation. 
and then how Pinocchio kind of came about, right? Which, you know, is interesting because we had Geppetto properly depressed, you know, in the cups and all of that jazz, right? Which you kind of think, man, he, he, he's carving while drunk? Is that safe? So that might explain why, why Pinocchio looked like Pinocchio, you know? But, uh, yeah, so, you know, as Pinocchio comes to life, we get all of this story as it unfolds. And, you know, as mentioned, this is 1930s. So it's Mussolini, it's Hitler, it's just all of that. Uh, so it, it's weird seeing, uh, like, puppets, Zighal, and all of that foulness. You know what I mean? You're just like, yo, what what's happening here? What are these little puppets doing? Well, they're meant to be cute, right? But it, it again, it, it adds these different things because now we've got the backdrop of the war, right? And there are a lot of mean ass people. It is this whole redemption. It is this story learning to you know be human. Right, so it's it's learning to pay heed to people's advices, to understand people say things out of frustration. It's not always, you know, what it sounds like. Essentially, you know, we get, we get all of this, this understanding of life and death. Right, all of these things are touched here, people. Uh, so I I kind of feel there is a little something about this, right? The feels like, I think, kids may connect with it more than the recent Disney version. Now, it is a lot darker, darker to the extent of, right, there is more death here, there is the war backdrop, but I feel there's probably darker stuff that little kids are watching, you know what I mean? I don't think it's too crazy, like, there's no blood or guts or anything like that but it might be something that sparks an interesting conversation with the youths right so you know there is that now it like the disney one it's a musical which i had no clue and i hated all the songs all the songs i did not feel them but i'm a cranky old man so uh Maybe you will enjoy them, people. You know? So, I think it was better than the Disney version. But I didn't particularly love it. We do have a solid voice cast. And the story flows well enough. Though it does feel long. Right? This is uh, just under an hour. No, sorry, just under two hours. No, just under an hour is perfect. No, this is just under two hours. So, yeah, it's it's long, right? And it does feel like it is long. But, uh, yeah, if you're all about puppets and you like old stories, you know, Pinocchio and all that jazz, then you might want to give it a look. But, yeah, it's a musical. Be warned, it's a musical. But, as I said, more heart than the recent Disney adaptation. It's on Netflix, people, so... Maybe go check out what Del Toro has produced. Okay, people. So, part one is nearly at a close. But before we go, let's take a look and see what's happening in the world of film, shall we? Okay, so now... I, 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 just, I don't believe I knew this was coming, but we are getting a sequel to 1996 film Twister, which I, I'd say it feels, a, you know, a bit of a while, but we've had longer, you know, I mean, gaps in between, right? But yeah, it, it's coming. Now, it seems that Lee Isaac Chong will be directing it. Um, and 
Mark L. Smith is writing the script. Right now, the word is that Helen Hunt will be back with the daughter she had with Bill Paxton's character from the first film. Right, so the daughters, you know, got into the business as it were, and they'll be doing their thing. I haven't even seen the original, to be honest with you, so I have no clue. Now, if you're fans of um, Tom Clancy's The Division, right, you know, those video games, and you were real happy to know that a film was coming it might not be coming, right? So, supposedly, because the film, the games are about, you know, well, they're set in the future, right? But it's about a pandemic, essentially, you know, wiping out everything. They thought, their thinking was, "Mm, it might be a bit too early to make, right? So that was in 2020. Um, it doesn't seem that anyone's really pushing to bring it to fruition at the moment, but I don't know who knows. Who knows? Now, one video game that is in, um, you know, motion is uh, oh, what's it called? Death Standing, right. I've I've not played the game. It's from uh, Haido Kojima, right? It's meant to be uh, a famous game author, you know? So his production companies teamed up with Hammerstone Studios to, uh, yeah, bring that game to life. Right, it says to be so. I don't think it's a straight adaptation, they're saying it's set in the same universe but introducing new characters and elements. So, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens with that one, shall we? Now, uh, Jack Houston, actor Jack Houston, is going to be making his featured directorial debut with Day of the Fight, right, which is going to be about a once-celebrated boxer who takes a redemptive journey through his past and present on the day of his first fight since leaving prison. Hmm. It's going to be starring Michael Pitts, uh, Nicolette Robinson, John Magaro, Ron Perlman, and Joe Pesci. So, um, yeah, that'd be in. It could be interesting, this one, right? Um, producing um, is Josh Potter, uh, Jay Stefan, Emma Tillinger, Kuzkov, Colleen Camp. Um, So, yeah, we'll see what happens with that one when that one drops. Now, there's a lot going on at Warner's, right? And, um, you know, a little while ago, uh, James Gunn and... um, uh, I cannot remember the other dude's name. But, yeah, they took over the DC component, right? But and a lot of projects got frozen. Um, Peter Stefran, that's it. Peter Stefran, right? A lot of things got frozen because they were putting together a Bible, right? To make things a bit more cohesive, more like the Marvel universe. Because let's be fair, the DC universe is all over the place. People seem to love the TV stuff not the film stuff as much, right? Now, because of that, there's been some, you know, toing and throwing on things, you know, speculation, 
one of the biggest ones being Superman, right? Because just before Steph ran and gun took over, word was that um, Cavalli, right? Old, uh, you know, the old Superman, the Witcher, which is a very good, Henry Cavalli was a very good Witcher, right? But yeah, he looked like he was coming back as Superman. Seems that is no longer a thing. That is no longer a thing. But, right, although Gunn announced that the Bible is complete, right, and there's going to be a whole heap of projects announced next year, early next year, he did announce one thing. And that was that he is writing, well, he's written a new Superman film, right? But here's the thing. It's focusing on the early years of Clark Kent. So obviously Cavalli is too old for that, right? So, um, yeah. But he did say that... Um, They've got Cavalli in mind for other stuff. So, uh, you know, we'll see what else, you know what I mean? Like, hey, it's happened before, right? Think Johnny Storm into Captain America. So, yeah, shit can happen, people, right? Now, Tyler Perry has got an interesting new project. Uh, it is called Six Triple Eight. Um, and it's coming via Netflix, right? It's about the 6888th Battalion, right? The only black all-female battalion in World War II. Uh, so it says, this group of 855 women joined the war effort with little knowledge of what exactly they would be doing but were quickly given an impossible mission, sought through and fixed a three-year backlog of undelivered mail, around 17 million letters and packages in all. The Herculean tasks that most thought to be impossible, the women not only succeeded, but did in half the time they were given, all whilst facing discrimination and unfamiliar land and a war-torn country in the process. Hmm, I and mean, that's an interesting, like, you, you don't really hear about that stuff, so, yeah, I'm down for this kind of story, so, um, Perry will be producing along with Nicole Avant, Kerry Selig, Carlotta Espinosa, um, Angie Bones, and Tony Strickland, so, yeah, Okay, cool, cool, cool. Now, last year, right? I think it was last. I feel it was last year. We had the Fear Street films in Netflix. You know, three films all dropping a week apart, which I thought was a, a really interesting experiment. I thought it worked. I very much enjoyed it, right? Now, those films were... Um, Directed by, uh, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting uh, Shorty's name. Um, Jesus Christ, something Janik, right? Lee Janik. Lee Janik directed those three films. Um, now, she, like, she said that she'd like to do more, but I'm not quite sure, right? If she will be involved in in the franchise at some point, but it sounds like the full film is going to be directed by Chloe Okuno, right? Um, yeah, she directed The Watcher, well, Watcher, right, which was very popular, and uh, that success has landed her this gig. Right, so yeah, interesting. Now, it just seems to be one film, right? So, whether 
she'll be doing this and then we're getting more from janet you know like who knows what they're gonna do right if they want to try and follow what happened last year i don't know not really a whole heap of information is out there i don't even know how many of these books rl stein wrote to be honest with you you know but um yeah Let's just see what the fuck out if if it can be anywhere near as fun as the last three, then you know that's a win, right? But that's it for part one, people. Definitely, definitely go check part two because we've got an interview and we look at a new indie horror film, and it is. Yeah, it's a little bit different. Trust me. Trust me, people. All right? So, see you in a bit. Peace.